I don't know exactly where I am. I assume it's England because I had lived there before, but I'm in my bed and I'm on my knees facing backwards towards the headboard and through the window, which has this sort of Tudor-like steel framing on it or metal framing, through the crisscross framing, I see these rolling hills. So it looks like England. And there's all of a sudden I can hear this rumble. And when the dream starts, I'm actually already in this position and I'm hearing the rumble and I'm thinking to myself that I've snapped awake to this rumble. And there's a hey, suddenly over the crest of the closest hill is a column of tanks starts coming over the crest of the hill. And the tanks are strange because they're, they look Soviet made from my own expertise and they are desert pattern colored. And that just struck me as odd because there's, you know, the, the desert pattern and clashing with the sort of rolling green hills and the strange flag in this place. And so that confused me about my whereabouts. And then I'm, so I'm seeing the tanks rolling and I'm, and I'm feeling the vibration. And then all of a sudden, and I'm, and I'm frightened. And then all of a sudden the dream shifts and I'm suddenly feel like I'm in the same place, but I'm already on my feet. I'm dressed and I'm going through this room to room, but it's not, I can't see the rooms. I only see a sort of darkened tunnel that I'm walking through, but I know I'm in the house. I just can't see the rooms. I can't make them out. I can't, I'm, I'm, when I walk into them, it's like this tunnel, the shadow tunnel around me and this, this tunnel of shadow around me and I'm, and I'm walking through it and I, and I'm looking for my family and I don't know who that is specifically in, in that, in, in the instance. I don't, I don't imagine who they are, although I have a family. It's, 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 it could be them. It could be anyone, but I'm looking for my family. And then I come to a door, but it's like a jump cut. I'm, I'm suddenly at the door off this jump cut and I open the door and it's the same place. I can feel it. it. There's a mustiness to this place, a weird mustiness in the shadows that, that make, tells me that it's consistently the same place and which tells me that it's England because I lived in a, a manor house there that was like, you know, kind of musty and old and lovely, but it had a certain kind of stone kind of smell to it that this place had too. And so I get to the door and I, I'm opening the door in the jump cut, my hands already on the, like immediately on the knob and I open the door and I, I, it's, it's nothing but light outside, like white light. That's it. And that's the dream. Uh, yeah, when I first had this dream back in 1997, I was, uh, um, freshly married. Uh, I was, uh, just had gotten my master's degree from the London School of Economics. I was living in with my wife at the time in Oxford, England, uh, in a 14th century abbey, uh, which had been turned into apartments. And uh, we had one of the apartments in the abbey. Uh, it was an idyllic existence and life, um, almost dilettantish, and except that we're very endeavorous and hardworking. And also my family lived in London at the time, my entire family, my parents, my brothers and sisters were all going to elementary and high school 
uh, in London, England. So I had my family 30 minutes from me, very far away from America, where we know, where we're from. So, which was also lovely. So I felt very much in a, I felt in a great place at that time. It was a wonderful year. 1997 was a great, great year. I don't know exactly what the threat would have been that would have triggered me to have this dream at that time. Uh, I do have a fear sometimes when everything is going right that it can go topsy-turvy wrong and 180. I had a great childhood, but we had up and down in terms of in financial ups and downs, and we lived a very privileged life, but it was one that was constantly under the threat of being, you know, the net falling out from underneath you, and, you know, you're on a tightrope without one underneath there, and when you fall, you're going to fall hard. Well, I got married. That's, I mean, getting married is, it, it turns the relationship into a much bigger deal. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, being, when you're 23 and dating, it's, it's different than being 23 and married. And it's a sudden thing. And, you know, it, it dawned on me that, gee, we could actually have children now. And, you know, we could, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a whole sort of, framework around marriage that, and particularly even more so than, than now around the sort of expectations uh, involved in that, that perhaps I was, uh, uh, fearful of the, as, as we, I had an English teacher senior year, Mr. Comiskey, who used to say, get ready for the big kick in the stomach when life hits you, you know? Um, and, uh, maybe that was the big kick in the stomach was that, you know, or I was afraid of the big kick in the stomach. Maybe the tanks represent the big kick in the stomach. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a wonderful time. I think I was, at that time, I remember being fearful of it going away. You know, I do remember that. I do remember, you know, something, you know, wrecking, you know, rocking the boat or a wrench in the works kind of thing. I, I had that pervasive feeling. I just signed uh, my first publishing deal and at the same time was uh it was as i was signing that i was taking care of my dying mom which um you know i was just that that there was a juxtaposition there between elation and devastation you know and uh and i was worried that you know that because there's so much riding on this project and what I'm doing in the publishing industry that if it goes away, you know, it's, it's more than a disappointment. It's a, it's a, it's more devastation. That's how I can put it. Yeah. Things will go south for me that, the you know, my family suffers for it. You know, I mean, I know they'll be okay because their mom is great and she's, her career is going very well. But, you know, uh, my kids need to see their dad be successful. They need to see, um, they need to have my support. And this is my best way of giving it in the maximum, to the maximum level, you know. So 
Yeah. It's a big, it's a lot of pressure. I think unconditional love is, is absolutely necessary. Even if your kid, I mean, if I always say, if one of if my, God forbid, one of your children, you know, anybody's child turns out to be like a criminal of some kind or an awful criminal or something like that. But I would even visit my child in prison, even if I was uh, appalled at their actions. And, you know, I, I would still love my child, you know, fortunately I don't have that problem, but, <laughs> but the, uh, but the, um, yeah, I think, you know, you accept your children for who they are and, uh, love them, I think is the most important thing, but in a capitalist society, uh, not down in capitalism, I'm very pro capitalism, but it, we do equate, uh, you know, and, and there is a good, it is a good thing in a way to equate you know, the sort of responsibility of a parent with financial contribution, um, making sure that they're taken care of. Because a child needs to feel taken care of and that, that the love through taken care of in a, in a capitalist system is going to be based on monetary support. It's just the natural way it is. You do have to kind of hustle. You know? you, not kind of, you have to. I mean, the light at the end of the door, I, I, I think my mom passing away later on, um, I don't know if that was some kind of signal or related to her. I don't know, maybe it was me telling me myself that everything would be okay in the end, regardless of what happens. Because one thing I do feel is that my mom passed away shortly after this dream or a couple weeks later. And one thing I do feel is that her death was, um, for her, a salvation uh, at the end, and that she was in a better place. And I know that, and we put her, we buried her in Vermont, in Woodstock, Vermont, and she's buried where exactly where she'd want to be, in a wonderful resting place with, uh, surrounded by soldiers, actually. Um, all the way back to the Revolutionary War and the Green Mountain Boys of Vermont. So I, I thought about the dream at that point and, and thought, you know, maybe that that's somewhat of a light. Maybe I, uh, maybe, or, or whatever, maybe, maybe it just blanked out. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think it was saying that everything's going to be all right. And I mean, her passing for her was was better and there was a sense that she would be saying go forward go keep going you know don't don't let up you're going to be great because one of the last things she said to me was that she was rooting for me so Dream Logic is produced by me, Elias Campbell. Original score in this episode by Andy Trithart. Sound mixing by Sarah Bassiano. Our theme music is by Sean Sutherland. Cover art by Stephen McLaughlin. Special thanks to our guest this week, Al. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DreamLogicShow. If you have a dream you want to share, email us at dreamlogicpod at gmail.com. 
and please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.